0: Evening everyone, Um, you might want to uh, get a Bible out if you've got one with you or if you've got a phone and you can open it without turning to Facebook or Amazon. I was looking over someone's shoulder this morning and they were shopping on Amazon. Um, (laughs) I mean, you know, if you've got nothing else to do. So, um, what I'd love you to do is turn up Luke chapter 8. And kind of put your finger on about verse 40. So uh, I've been doing this bit of study recently and I had my uh, my head well and truly blown by something. Um, in this context that we're in here, we tend to think that where two or three people are gathered together and there's really good music playing, there he is in the midst, don't we? And um, And we really prize our worship times, don't we? Wasn't that just amazing? Yeah, I love just being able to hang out with Jesus. But I discovered something really amazing. At the time of Jesus, that was not the predominant mode of worship. The predominant uh, mode of worship was actually gathering around God's word. And the rabbis at the time of Jesus believed this, that where two or three people sat discussing God's word, he was present right in the middle of it. So, what I want to say to us this evening is don't turn off worship brain, okay? Because what we are about to do is just as much worship as what we have been doing. Is that okay? Cool. Okay. Now, um, before I kind of leap in, hopefully you've found Luke by now. It's the third gospel, by the way, in the um, New Testament. You'll notice some postcards on the chairs here. just want to flag up an event for you that's coming in September. Um, I have the privilege of serving as part of the team... um, that helps lead the School of Spiritual Life here. And um, last year we took a, a kind of leap of faith and we, we launched a new initiative called Encounter Week. Now the reason we did that is that we realised that not everybody has the ability to leave work for a whole year, come and do school, and then just drop back into their life. Some employers are just not that good. Okay? Some of them aren't listening to Holy Spirit. Okay? And so we thought, how could we provide the day school opportunity for people who can't make that commitment for a whole year, for whatever reason, actually. And so we came up with this idea of doing a really, really intensive, immersive week called Encounter Week. And uh, it was such a success, we're going to do it again this September. Um, We had a really good turnout last year, but this year we decided we're going to give you plenty of notice. So if you want to book a week off work so you can do it, you've got the dates already. So have a look on the chairs for one of these postcards. It was an absolutely fantastic time. We worked out that we covered in one week the same material that the evening school covers in an entire year. Because they only have 21 sessions over a year. But the amazing thing is, during that week, we had all five-fold gifts from the Ephesian 4 ministries serving the school in one week. And it was truly explosive. It was a beautiful thing. Quite often, the gifts are seen as kind of in competition to each other. But we had this real privilege of these five gifts working together, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. And, and it was just, God was on it. God was on it. So if you're really hungry for God and you want to set some time out, but you can't do something like the day score, I want to recommend this to you. It's on the um, church website. All the details are on the card. Is that cool? Brilliant. Okay, let's read them. Um, hopefully you've made your Amazon purchase by now. Um, so, <laughs> so here we go. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear. that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So um, the year was 2008, which in my estimation is about 11 years ago. Uh, I had the privilege at that time of being on a three-month sabbatical in the glorious country of South Africa. Um, Truly one of the most beautiful places I've ever been on earth. Uh, The infrastructure was crumbling a little bit, but in terms of natural beauty, it was just an incredible time. And the reason I was there was um, I was in relationship with someone who had lots of connections in South Africa with churches that were very, very kingdom focused. And the church I was leading at the time was very hungry for things of the kingdom. So it seemed like a really good match that I go on sabbatical and go and hang out with some people who got this kingdom thing. I was particularly interested in going there uh, for this reason, that in the African continent, the, the whole issue of spirituality runs a lot closer to the surface than it does in Europe. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, everything is spiritual there. And you could literally drive through the middle of a township, and on one side of the road would be a church, and on the other side of the road would be a house with a sheep skull on a post. That would be where the witch doctor lived. And it was that open. And so we thought, well, this is a really good place to go. We want to get heads around the kingdom. We want to kind of think a bit about deliverance and stuff like that. And these guys seem to uh, know what they're doing. So the whole family packed our bags and off we went for 12 weeks. Um, and we spent about a week with each church that we were kind of visiting, which was kind of cool, really, because about four weeks in, it stopped feeling like a holiday and started feeling like sabbatical. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was like two weeks you normally go home three weeks is a long holiday if you can possibly manage that and your boss will let you but four weeks was like this is incredible and this uh one of these kind of last churches we were at it just so happened that in their program the week we were there they had a healing meeting and it was uh, a well-known christian healer from their kind of network was doing this meeting and that was kind of pertinent for us as a family and i'll explain why my um, four-year-old son, Josh, had started to show some significant issues in his life. Um, they'd been picked up when he was at preschool. And what happened was that as he got older, his developmental um, speed was actually slowing down. So he wasn't keeping up with his age, if that makes sense. And the once bubbly, smiley little Baba that we had... Um, he was so gorgeous when he was small he had those little fat rings around his arms you know they're just amazing and um, i had them around my tummy but he had them around his arms um, and um, and this smiley bubbly little baba had suddenly become really internalized and isolated he started having no eye contact with anyone he never responded to his name and he was totally absorbed inside of himself now we didn't know at that time but 12 months later he was going to receive a diagnosis of being on the autistic spectrum which is um it's a really horrible diagnosis to have given to your child because you just kind of feel like you're given a piece of paper saying this is what they've got welcome to the rest of your life goodbye and it was really that tough we were given a little advice sheet one page and that was it And so we were kind of at our wits' end. So here we were in a foreign country. It just happened to be the last week or so of our sabbatical. And we're at this church that's got a healing meeting. So I'm thinking, this is it. This is the moment. This is our chance to see whatever's wrong with him, because we didn't know at that point, to see it healed. And so there was worship, not dissimilar than we've had tonight. And then there was a teaching slot. And then there was some ministry. Now, it was interesting ministry because the way uh, that this was done was basically all those with any kind of need rushed down the front. And so there was this throng of people, about four or five people deep. It was kind of like the mosh pit at a heavy metal concert, if you can imagine that kind of thing. And I've got this four-year-old boy and I'm just walking up and down at the back of these people trying to... Because everybody wants a touch from this guy who's got their healing gift. And I'm like, please, will you just please, 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 please. And I never actually got Josh close enough to be prayed for. And it was devastating. It was devastating. And it was all about, could we just get that touch? And I really can't begin to articulate how desperate we were to see something happen for Josh. And the reason I want to start tonight with that story is because we can so easily rush into our Bible stories and our biblical texts and our preaching with our kind of theological hats on. And we can miss, because we're so detached from the story that's going on, the reality the distress that's being felt by the people for who this story was their life. We can miss the desperate hope that was at the heart of so many of Jesus' miracles. And I kind of think tonight that I'd like to suggest that really nothing's changed. Because behind everybody who wants a miracle is a desperate story. It's somebody who knows, I need something. Something's not right. I can't function properly. And so this got me thinking, really. When you read this story of all these people pressing in around Jesus, why did people flock to him? Why did they throng around him? Why did they grab at him? Why did they beg him to please come to my house? And I kind of boiled it down to this, because he always met people at their greatest point of need. But like he never said, I'm going to meet you here at this part of your life. They came to him and they said, this is what I need. And that was his connection point. And through that point, the glory and the power and the grace of heaven would rush in so successfully that he radically impacted thousands of lives with his miracles. And I honestly believe that the explicit, an implicit thrust of the New Testament is that we too should be that kind of vessel. And we too should be that kind of conduit. And I'm not sure you believe me. Because it's very quiet in here. <laughs> so here's the question. Why was Jesus so good at that? Well, some of you might be sitting here and go, well, uh, Mark, no brainer. He was God." And I want to say that's cop-out. And here's why. Yes, he was fully God. And he never, for a moment on earth, stopped being fully God. But scripture tells us in Philippians 2.7 that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped hold of. In fact, he emptied himself. He humbled himself. And took on the form of a servant. And people have debated for centuries over what that means. But it's really simple. If you imagine Jesus as Batman. He never stopped being Batman. But he took the utility belt off. And he chose not to use it. You know, he said not even the son knows when the end of time is going to be called by the father. It's amazing? He actually took off knowing everything now if you don't believe me it's really interesting because in Matthew 12:28 he said this if I cast out demons by the spirit of God then the kingdom of God has come among you he's telling us something really important there he did not do his miracles drawing on his own godness he submitted himself to the power and flow of Holy Spirit That changes things a bit doesn't it do you know why? Holy Spirit's in you. And we say there's no junior Holy Spirit, and I want to say, um, there's no kind of um, diluted Holy Spirit either. You know, like at our house, we have this ongoing uh, battle about how long a bottle of squash lasts. (laughs) Do you know the battle I'm talking about? Yeah, the kids like to put about two inches in the bottom of each glass, whereas I'm kind of, no, that would do me about six glasses of squash. It's because I dilute it, I make it go a bit further. But God's not like that. He's not like Mark Hendley. The very same Holy Spirit that Jesus grooved in and moved in and flowed in and exercised his ministry through is exactly the same Holy Spirit that you have inside of you. Now you might say, ah, but he had authority. Correct, he did. But do you know what? He said this, all authority has been given to me, therefore you go. Do you know what happened in that moment? He slapped a sheriff's badge on you two. So if he did what he did through the Holy Spirit, and he did what he did because he had authority, and we have both of those things available to us, why do we see so many different outcomes for him than maybe we see in our own lives? And I really prayed about this, and the thing I came up with was simply this, that he carried the presence of God well. He carried the presence of God well. And my big question tonight, as we just kind of think about this story, which is incredible, is how can we carry the presence of God well? So um, the first thing I want to talk about is interruption. You see, the overarching story is he steps off a boat and a guy called Jairus grabs him and says, Will you come to my house? My daughter's dying. And he goes, Yeah, that's cool. And yet most of the story is not taken up with that event. It's taken up with a woman pushing her way through the crowd and grabbing hold of his garment. He didn't get out of the boat planning to meet a woman and heal her of 12 years of sickness. He was going to Jairus' house. The woman was an interruption to his schedule. And I honestly believe one of the great things we need to learn if we're to carry the spirit well is simply this. We've got to learn how to allow him to upset our timetable and disturb and rewrite our diaries. I've lost count of the number of times I've been shooting somewhere, like, really fast. And someone goes, excuse me. And I go, I haven't got time. I'm really sorry. It might be someone who's doing one of those um, surveys on the street. You know the ones. You know they want money. Yeah. And you're like, sorry, I haven't got time. I'm thinking, there's an opportunity. Somebody wants to talk to me. I could actually stop and talk to them about Jesus. But I've just got to go. i just got sorry, this train. I've got this thing I'm going out to tonight. There's always something. And the thing I see with Jesus is he was always prepared for the interruption. The rabbis at the time of Jesus had this saying that um, the rabbi would have a curriculum, but the student's interruption was God's curriculum. Isn't that cool? Like that question that was going to come from the followers could actually be God's and the thing he wants to teach. And I would say the same for us with our diaries. I mean, you've probably got a mobile phone or a computer at home that has a desktop and somewhere there's Microsoft Office or one of those kind of time management tools. How written in stone is the stuff in there? When you're going from A to B, how written in stone is the time? you think you need to take to get between those two places when you've got that important person to meet is there a more important person that you're walking by i say this to myself as well i'm not perfect on this one but it just really struck me that the heart of this story is jesus is going from here to here and in the middle he gets totally interrupted And that becomes the place where an amazing miracle happens. So part of the carrying the presence well, I think, is about interruption. Secondly, it's about identity. You see, to understand this story properly... Um, we have to dive into the Old Testament. I'm really sorry about that. I do apologize. Um, we're going to Numbers. Sorry. I know you probably don't go there maybe often. But if you just flip over to Numbers chapter 15. And verse 37. And it simply says this. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you're inclined to whore after. So you shall remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God I am the Lord your God tassels on a rope And that's what I want to talk about just for a minute because if you don't understand this you won't get the heart of this story um, some of you might recognize this this is a Jewish prayer shawl it's called a tallit And you'll notice the tassels on the corner. And we have this today because of those verses I just read to you. And basically God says, I know what human beings are like and you like to fiddle. Do you like to fiddle? I used to get slap at dinner time when I was a kid because my knee was always doing this under the table because I couldn't sit still. And even now when I'm in a sermon or something else or a, a conference, I have to scribble. I have to take notes. You know, if I haven't got any paper with me, I have to nick one of the flyers they put on the chairs or a giving envelope or something. I just need to scribble. And God kind of knows that that's a bit what we're like. And so he says, I want you to put these tassels on the corner of your robe. Why? To remind you of something, I want you to remember my ways that I brought you from Egypt to Israel, that I brought you from slavery to freedom, that I brought you out of darkness and into light. And I want you to remember that my ways, that's what this is about, are the best ways for your life. So before you're tempted to go after another way, I want you to have something to remind yourself that these are God's ways and God's ways are best for my life. Isn't that cool? I'm just standing here and I just want to twiddle these around my finger. And in fact, that's what you do. But there's something much more profound going on, you see, because in the ancient Near East, fringes and tassels were found in almost every culture as a symbol of high office or royalty. I want you to think about that for a moment. Fringes and tassels were found in almost every culture in the ancient Near East, whether it's the Assyrians or the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Israelites, and it was always as a symbol of high office or royalty. And there's this amazing verse in there about one of the strands on these tassels must be must be blue. And the blue strand is dyed with a thing called techelet, which is a dye that's extracted from the murex sea snail. And you have to get thousands of these things and catch them and pull the snail out and dry them in the sun and grind a particular part of the snail up to make a powder that you mix with a certain liquid. And when you put it in the sun, it turns blue. And it's so expensive a process that they said that this powder was worth twice its weight in silver. And for that reason, the only people really in the ancient Near East who wore blue were kings. Isn't that amazing? I want you to have a tassel on the corner of your robe, just like royalty and high officials do. And part of the colour scheme has to, be, has to be the blue of royalty, the marker of royalty. Jacob Milgram says this, in the ancient Near East, corners and fringes on robes were elaborate decor used as an implicit social statement. In many cultures, equality comes through suppression. But in Israel, equality was reached by elevation. God said to his people, I want you to dress like kings you know at the time Jesus was walking this earth the heart of a rabbi calling followers or disciples to follow him was this I am calling you because I believe you can be who I am being a disciple was not about accumulating information Go to Bible colleges these days, it's about pumping you full of information. In Jesus' day, the Bible college was about become like the master. And he's not going to call you if he doesn't think you've got it in you. I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to dress like kings. Who do we follow? The king of... Who do you think the kings are? It's us. It's us. A creation, we're told that in his image, he made the male and female. And people sort of think, wow, did God have a head and hands? You know, what did he look like? But that's not what the word image means. A few chapters later, you get this lovely story about Adam having another son called Seth, who was born in his image. It's the language of paternity. And if you are the king of the universe and you create children, what are they? Princes and princesses. John chapter 1, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called sons of God. Romans, Paul writes about the whole of the created order is screaming out for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is waiting for people who genuinely look just like their heavenly king and father. And this was the message that God was given to his people in Numbers 15. I want you to dress like who you are. You are royalty. Walking on the face of the planet. So I want to ask you a question. Do you ever find these words on your mouth? Oh, but I'm just a mum. Admin worker. School student. Caretaker. Insert whatever. See, the reason Jesus was able to do what he did was he knew his identity. And I really believe part of carrying the presence well is not just being prepared to be interrupted by God's schedule, but actually when you are interrupted... Know who you are. Because when you know who you are, you know what you carry. So, um, the third thing I want to talk about is covering. So this passage we've been looking at in the Old Testament, I don't know if you know this, Hebrew is a really weird language. There's only about 8,000 words Compare that to 80,000 in the English language. Some difference, hey? So it's a very economical language. So every single one of those words has multiple meanings. So in the story where God says, I want you to tie tassels on the corner of your robes. Well, the word corner there is the word kanaf. But it can also mean border. It can, almost, it can also mean um, hem. And interestingly, it can almost also mean wings. Because you wear your robe like this. And when you would quite often stand and pray and give the high priestly bre- blessing, you'd hold your hands out like this and guess what you got? Yeah, isn't that cool, hey? Now, this robe is called a tallit. And what I want you to understand is that over time, this kind of developed. Originally, it was just any old robe, and it just had any old tassels on. But by the time of Jesus, you have to remember that the Israelites had lost their temple once. It had been destroyed by the Babylonians, and they were taken into captivity. They no longer had a temple. And so their prayer robe kind of evolved in a funny sort of way. Because they didn't have the temple anymore in the Holy of Holies... The prayer shawl became the veil of the temple in microcosm. It's a bit like little boys, you know, who want to own, um, I don't know, a Ferrari, right? How many nine-year-old boys do you know who can afford a Ferrari? Very few, isn't it? So what do they do? They go down to the toy shop and they buy a matchbox Ferrari. You seen those little ones? Or Hot Wheels Ferrari. This is... The matchbox veil of the temple. And so literally, they had to wear this thing all the time. And because this symbolized the veil of the temple, it also symbolized God's presence. And where were they? Under the shadow of his wings. Do you get that? It's such a cool picture. And it was kind of used in all sorts of ways at weddings. They would literally put this thing up on poles. And they even do this today, the Jews. You would marry under the prayer shawl. They call it chuppah. And the picture is so obvious, isn't it? We are joining together under the presence of God. And certainly in New Testament times, once the ceremony was over, they would take the prayer shawl and they would whip off to the wedding chamber and they would then suspend it over the bed. Shock horror. Because, you know, obviously here in the West, sex is a terribly, terribly, we don't talk about that stuff. And you only do it with the lights out and God's not very impressed with it. And he's actually, frankly, quite shocked that you do a thing like that. But the truth is in the Hebrew worldview, everything is spiritual. And so on your wedding night, under the cover of God, you would consummate your marriage. Interesting picture, isn't it? But not only that, it would be used in prayer. Matthew 6.6, 6, Jesus talks about when you go into your prayer closet and you close the door, guess what this is? See, you would put it like this, and you would close the door, and it's you. <laughs> yep. It's you in the presence of God. And you've cut out all the white noise. <sighs> and so this was used. It became a part of life. It was a command. Every Male had to wear one. It was part of daily life and it meant that wherever you went, you carried the presence of God with you. And I love the imagery of that because what God is saying is you cannot organize your life so that God is here, but not here. That's really profound. Because what it says is, God's everywhere you go. Every thought you have. Every word you speak. Everything you do. All of these things are done in the presence of God. And I sometimes think that, as Christians, sometimes we think we step into God's presence. Maybe there's a part of the week where that's more real than other parts. Maybe a Sunday or a Sunday evening or a home group or whatever where you get together and pray and maybe worship a it. But God actually says everywhere. And do you know what that means? It means how you speak to the waitress in the fast food joint when your food's not fast enough it really matters. wives, how you speak to your husbands when they left their underpants on the floor for the thousandth time it really matters dads, how you speak to your kids it really matters because none of that stuff that happens outside of the presence of God I love this thing, it's such a great tactile visual reminder of God's heart for his people, that they're always aware that his presence is right there. And so we have to remember there's no dark corners in God's all-present presence. I think there's a fourth way in which we can carry the presence well, and that's in honour. You know that we have Danny Silk here occasionally, and there's there's one of his little one-liners that I really have grasped holds onto, and I think it's important not just personally, but I think corporately, and it's simply this. To preserve intimacy with you, I will protect what is important to you. That's what it is to honour someone. And we're learning what that means with each other, aren't we, as we walk out relationship. But have you thought about that as a concept that we have to employ with God as well? Like, I want to preserve intimacy with you, God, so I want to protect what's important to you. Which brings us to these. So these little uh, tassels in Hebrew are called tzitzit, which is a great name, love it. There's a picture of them up on the screen behind me. And none of this stuff is by accident. It's all well thought through. If you look at these tassels you'll notice that each tassel has five knots. And each of those knots represents one of the books of the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Between those five knots, I don't know if you can see, there are four blue bands. And each of those blue bands that fills the spaces stands for one of the letters in God's name, yud Hey vav Hey, is where we get the name Yahweh from. So you've got God's word, and you've got God's name. There are actually 39 windings that go around this thing. Um, Hebrew is like Roman numerals, there are no numbers, they just use the letters of the alphabet. And they have a phrase... Hashem Echad, which means the name is one. They didn't dare say the name Yahweh, so they called him Hashem. Hashem Echad. The name is one. That's the nature of God. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. There's eight strands on each tassel. And I don't know if you know this, but eight is considered the number of grace or new beginnings. Because you have a seven-day week. And on the eighth day, you start again. It's a new beginning. So this speaks of the grace of God. And then, this is the uh, amazing thing, there are something like 613 loops in each of these tassels because there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. This is about the ways... Of God, And so in the world of Jesus and all the Jews who'd lived before him, it was not about who had God's presence. The issue was, how did you carry God's presence? Did you carry it in a way that honored the word of God, the name of God, the nature of God, the grace of God, the ways of God? That's food for thought, isn't it? And because these things are very tactile, literally they would wrap the tassels around their fingers. Something to play with, but there's this really interesting kind of reality, which is this. If you want to sin, you have to deliberately disentangle yourself from the word of God, the name of God, the nature of God, the ways of God. And the grace of God. It's powerful, isn't it? See, we look at some of these Old Testament laws and we think they're a bit crazy, don't understand what that's about, but when you understand what's really going on. So the question wasn't who had God's presence, the question was how did they carry the presence? I love the fact in Matthew 23, verse 5, Jesus says, beware those who like their tassels long. (laughs) Because there were some religious folks who thought the longer their tassels were, (laughs) look how holy I am. We have the same today. 1 Samuel 24, we're told that David sneaks into a cave where the king Saul is. Saul's having a, <clears throat> a moment on his own, shall we say. And we're told that David cuts off the corner of his robe. What do you think he cut off? This? The tassel. See, I used to think that story was David was showing him how close he got to him but didn't kill him. But there's a whole other level of stuff going on there. What David was actually saying was this. I can't touch the presence that you carry as king. But look, you are not carrying it in a way that honors God. And what you carry stinks to high heaven. And what you had, I now have. Changes the story somewhat, doesn't it? And so, I want to talk about disaster for a moment. Because at the heart of this story is a disaster. Well, there's two disasters, actually. But there's one more little scripture I want to share with you. See, the Jews, they used to look at parts of their scriptures and realize that these scriptures weren't just for now. They actually were prophesying stuff that was going to happen. And some of these prophecies regarded a coming rescuer called the Messiah. One of the famous ones is Malachi 4.2, and it says for this... But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. The words Canaf with healing in his corners. What's going on? Well, it's saying whoever Messiah is, the way he carries the presence, honors God in such a way that healing is just going to flow. And Messiah, Messiah, Jesus being... An observant Jew would have tassels on his wings. And if you want to know who Messiah is, watch him closely. And if he has healing in his wings, then he is Messiah. If there is healing flowing from his corners, then you're tracking the right person. Isn't that cool? So here we are. There's this large crowd. Jairus, the synagogue leader, has said to Jesus, please, will you come to my house? My daughter's dying. This is the whole point of the passage. Jesus is going to this house. And we're told that on the way, a woman who's had an issue of blood for 12 years makes a very bold move. Now, 12 is really significant. Hebrews, whenever they hear a number, they do not think data first. They always think symbolism. So here's a a quiz, right? 12 tribes, yeah. 12 stands for Israel. And what's happening? She has been hemorrhaging for 12 years. See, the, the Jews believe that the life was in the blood. So literally the picture is, Israel has been leaking life for years. And she she's pushing through the crowd. Now the problem is, she has an issue of blood. And we understand from this, that this is a menstrual issue of blood. She's got gynae problems. And that means ceremonially she's unclean and we're told she's been like this for 12 years now here's the problem in their world if anybody was ceremonially unclean and you touched them that was contagious and you were then also unclean so no one wanted to touch unclean people because it meant you had to take a hike from galilee down to jerusalem to go to the temple to make an offering and be cleansed and that cost a lot of money so people wouldn't touch you. People wouldn't go near you. So you've got a woman here who has not been deliberately touched for 12 years. Because she is contagiously impure. See, we think thin, sin is the bad things we do, but according to Scripture, it's anything that's not perfect. So that might range from dandruff to skin conditions to the Leviticus 12 periods. And she reaches out and she believes that Messiah will have healing in his corners. What does it say she touched? Let's have a look. It's Luke. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. The word there is actually the same word that is used for tassel. And Jesus says something very strange. He never does this again in all of his ministry. He says, "Who touched me?" And Peter's like, uh, <coughs> "Boss, can I just have a word?" It's like hundreds of people here, and they're all—they all want a piece of you. He goes, no, 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 I felt power left me. Why would Jesus make this point? Well, if he makes the point that an unclean woman has touched him, he's now unclean. And Jesus is more than willing to be perceived as unclean for the sake of someone else, because he who who knew no sin became unclean sin for us you see everyone's there is worrying about contagious impurity and what they don't realize is jesus has contagious holiness <laughs> do you get that you see if you lived before jesus and you touch this woman you're unclean jesus turns up flips out on its head anybody who's clean who touches her she becomes clean while he's speaking Jarus is told by some of his servants, sorry, your daughter is dead. Why bother the rabbi anymore? Now, let's just get emotional for a minute. Can you imagine? He's already grabbed Jesus. They're on the way to heal his daughter. This woman intervenes. She's been ill for 12 years. Couldn't she just wait 20 minutes? Because that 20 minutes cost his daughter Her life. Now here's the problem. Leviticus 21 says it's illegal to knowingly walk into a room containing a dead body. So Jesus can't go in there. Oh, unless, of course, you're already considered unclean. (laughs) If the interruption hadn't have happened, they wouldn't have let him in the room. Do you get that? Sometimes disaster is actually God making a way. I know that's difficult to hear, but sometimes there's things that happen, and the result of that thing happening, God moves in such a way that He opens a totally new possibility. And so we're told that He took this little girl by the hand. And I want to say to you, if it's sinful to be near a dead body, it is certainly sinful to touch a dead body. But if Jesus was living like a first century Jew, what was he wearing? Pressure. What's he got wrapped around his fingers? The reminder, the word of God, the name of God, the grace of God, the ways of God the nature of God and he grabs her by the hand and he says get up see when he takes her hand he's offering her the presence that he carries and I want to say this sometimes people are touched by God because they're chasing him and sometimes people are touched by God because he's chasing them I just love that. And we're told just incidentally at the top of the story, she's 12. And under the presence, she has life leak back into her. Is that called a what? So, very quickly, I want to give you some application. Good application is not going to tell you how to live your life. Good application is going to ask you some awkward questions. So you ready? These are going to be on the podcast because I didn't have time to put them on the slide. So number one, when was the last time you were prepared for Holy Spirit to rewrite your diary and reorder your priorities? I mean, totally mess with them in a way that's inconvenient. When was the last time you were prepared for Holy Spirit to rewrite your diary and reorder your priorities? Number two, who are you? Like when you start a sentence with, I'm just a, what word naturally comes to mind? And if it's not... I am a power-fueled and a power-filled son or daughter of the king, you need an upgrade in how you see yourself. Number three. Do you carry a constant awareness of his presence? Are you in that kind of spiritual sense of understanding that you are always covered by him? Or... Is it just a weekly experience? Do you conduct yourself as if you are constantly in his presence? Number four. What place does the word, the name, the nature, the grace and the ways of God play in your life? And finally... The last time you encountered disaster, was it just a catastrophe and a tragedy? Or were you able to look through it as a door for God making a way? The last time you encountered disaster, were you looking at this as a tragedy? Or were you able to see it as a door for God making a way? All of you will answer differently to those questions. But I really believe if you can start to wrestle with the, um, the heart of what they're about. Those four words. Interruption. Just love that. Interruption. Identity, covering and honour. Well, I think it'd be really stupid to talk about how you carry the presence of God. Are you carrying it well, and not just open ourselves up once again to His presence? So let's start. I just want to say I want to leave this shawl here. There's nothing magic about this, by the way. It's just symbolic. But if you want to grab this tassel just as a reminder of everything that Jesus stands for, represents and carries, then feel free at the end. But let's just invite Holy Spirit to come. Father, we thank you for the gift, the precious gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that he is God with us now. He lives inside us and he's upon us and he flows through us. God, we want to carry him well. God, we want to walk this earth and be the kind of vessel and conduit that Jesus was. And I thank you that the fact he's called us as disciples says he believes we can be. so just fill us afresh now I pray just weighty presence of God I I pray you'd come upon us and we would feel it like a prayer shawl on our shoulders just that mantle from you that anointing that touch from heaven Just in your hearts. I want you to welcome him. He he loves going places where he's actually welcomed. You're free to offer him an invite in. He loves that kind of stuff. He loves party invites. (laughs) He loves party invites. He loves you saying, Holy Spirit, come to my party. I want you to be the guest of honor. just want to linger here for a minute I don't want to be in a hurry because there's more, you know that more of you Holy Spirit greater awareness of you God, would you recalibrate our lives so we carry you well? (laughs) God, would you mess our diaries up? God, I pray you'd help us to gear up so that we can encounter and be aware of your presence literally everywhere we go. And it wouldn't just be in those places that we think are sacred spaces, but actually it would be everywhere that we'd be aware of you. For those of you who are old enough, I just remember those old Ready Breck adverts on TV. The kids have their Ready Brek, and there's this kind of glow around them. I just want to pray that for all of us, that we would just have this sense, this real glowing, powerful Oscillating sense of the power of heaven on us and around us. Sure. Keep receiving.